You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to episode 39 of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Bob. And we're coming to you from the Sachem Public Library's new podcasting studio, The Booth, in Holbrook, New York. If this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. The Library Pros Podcast is produced bi-monthly, so don't forget to subscribe to our RSS feed, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, and via our email subscription service on our webpage, thelibrarypros.com. And if you like what you hear, consider leaving a review on the service of your choice. We are also on Twitter at The Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The Library Pros. Today joining us is Dr. Michael Hines, superintendent of the Patchogue Medford School District. Dr. Hines is an innovative supervisor, superintendent, sorry, I always screw up the intros, uh, and he's always, he's worked to make... That's why you're supposed to let me do it. I know, right? <laughs> he's always, he's been working and continues to work to make school fun again with increased and enhanced recess, introducing yoga and meditation, to say the least. Uh, it's amazing some of the things he's doing. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Chris and Bob. Okay, today we're going to speak with Dr. Hines all about all the cool progressive things that he's been doing. But before we speak about all that great stuff, let's uh, talk to Dr. Hines about himself. Can we just call you Mike? Is Please. Okay? Oh, my okay. gosh. Dr. Hines is beyond formal. Just don't call me Michael because that means I'm in trouble. Oh, I hear you. Okay. So where did you grow up? You're from the island, right? I am. I'm uh, from Sable, New York. Uh, lived in Sable for quite some time. Grew up there. Went to the schools, public schools there as a student. Spent a good couple of years after there trying to move away off of Long Island and get away from Sable, and then the black hole pulled me back in about uh, four years ago. Oh, that's great. You're up, Bob. Bob. All right, where did you go to college, and where did you do your graduate and postgraduate work? Did you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, Bob, I, um, let's see, I went to um, a very small school in West Virginia, um, it's about as big as his booth, actually. Uh, it has around uh, about 800 students back back in the day in the early 90s. Uh, it was a very small liberal arts school called uh, Bethany College. A wonderful place to, to grow. Changed my major around nine times because uh, clearly I did not know what I wanted to do. And then after there, I, um, I went to Dowling College and uh, was fortunate to... Uh, get not only my master's degree, but my doctoral uh, degree there as well before, unfortunately, uh, it closed down. Well, I have to say, I'm a Pat Med grad, so I'm kind of proud that you're here. And uh, tell us how your career brought you to Patrick Medford. Sure. Um, well, b before I was in Patrick Medford, I worked in uh, a wonderful school district called Shelter Island. Again, which is probably as big as this booth. Uh, <laughs> it was a K through two. Uh, I'm sorry, K through twelve um, school district, but it was all housed in one building. So it w the whole school district had around 230 students, K through twelve, graduating class of 20, and graduation took about two hours. Uh, actually, our graduation in Patchogue, Medford, actually takes less time than gra graduation ceremony in Shelter Island. And so when I was there for a few years, I, um, my, my daughter Sadie was born. Um, Sadie, who is now, she just turned five. Um, she just happens to have Down syndrome. And because where I was working and where I was living, we wanted to make sure that she received the services that she needed. So we moved further west. 
back to Sable, hence I'm coming full circle now. And then once I saw an opening in, uh, in Patchogue, Medford, I, it was serendipitous, and I applied, and the stars aligned, and, and here I am. We're very happy to have you. My wife is a Patrick Medford graduate as well. So, Chris, you're in good company. Excellent. <laughs> so we'll talk about your work in our next segment, but we really wanted to ask you uh, this question, I guess. Where does your motivation and, and your great passion come from? Yeah, that's uh, that's probably one of the most important questions uh, one can ask um, when it comes to someone being in education. I, uh, I My motivation comes from my years as a student, you know, and, and for me, my elementary experience was wonderful as a student, um, and this is back in the 70s and early 80s. Um, once I uh, went to junior high and then went to high school, um, I became extremely disenfranchised as a student, and I found myself falling through the cracks. So to make a long story longer, I did not like being in school as a student, and that is the lens that I tried to see through and view as far as um, what motivates me to make not only school fun, but to make it relevant and to make sure that we don't have kids falling through the cracks. I call our kids who were disenfranchised during purgatory. They are, you know, they're not quite, um, let's say, fully vested, but they're not totally um, out of the system. And I believe in many school systems, that's up to 70% of our kids who were disenfranchised. So my job is to make it relevant and to make it fun and to make it meaningful when they do leave they have the skill sets to uh, to be successful and that's what drives me and you kind of answered our last question but I'm going to ask it anyway uh, how did you experience your experience with high school back in the 80s yep. child of the 80s just like us <laughs> uh, how did that high school experience motivate you to get you to where you are now yeah it's um it's funny when when I graduated high school um, and this is hard. It's always hard for me to say this. I graduated in the bottom 10%, and I'd like to think it's not because cognitively I wasn't capable of doing well. Um, I never thought in a million years when I left I would ever step back in a school system again. So to me, it's, it's not only ironic, but I think it's serendipitous that I am in a school system right now because, uh, again, I, I believe I'm here for a reason, and it's not to just collect the paycheck and sit in my office. It's to look at everything, turn over every rock, work with our great board of education to make informed decisions to, to move our system forward. And I have to be honest with you, I, I really believe we are setting the stage for how schools should be as over the, over the next five to ten years. We have lots of school districts looking at what we're doing right now. And that really is impressive, too, because uh, we, we have a mutual friend who shall remain nameless who always tells me about Hey, did you see Atlanta is talking about Patrick Medford? I'm like, really? Okay, let's check this out. So it really is impressive that you're getting, you know, the national coverage for the things that, you, that you're doing. We we're we're very uh, yeah, and I think rightly so. But again, and I and I say this as often as I can, it never happens without a board of education being behind a superintendent, making those decisions or recommendations. It, it just doesn't happen. There needs to be synergy between the two, and uh, fortunately, we have that in our school district. Excellent. So. Uh, we have a lot to get to, so we're going to take a short break, and when we get back, we're going to talk about some of the amazing groundbreaking things that, that Dr. Hines or Dr. Mike, how about Dr. Mike, you like that? That sounds like a bad talk show. How about, <laughs> my, my, All right, we'll just say Mike. My, Mike's cool. All right, okay. <laughs> so all the cool stuff he's doing over at Patrick Medford. So we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we will speak to him about all that fun stuff.
Okay, we're back with Dr. Michael Hines, who we're going to call Mike from now on because he keeps telling me to stop saying <laughs> doctor. So he's from the Patrick Mefford School District, and we have uh, ready to jump into the next set of questions. Go ahead, Bob. Yeah, so you've received a, a lot of attention in the last few years for programs you've been instituted dealing with the whole child. So can you tell us a little bit more about that initiative? Sure. Um, I'll try to contextualize this a little bit. Um, over the past, I would say, well, since 2021, sorry, since 2021, the, the problem with the focus for, for many schools is that uh, it's focused on two things, two out, outputs, uh, ELA scores and math scores. And as far as I'm concerned, those are the wrong drivers as far as what makes a good school or why kids should be in school. So what we've done as far as looking at the whole child, I, I think of it as a trivial pursuit piece, right? So we have X amount of wedges in a trivial pursuit piece. Achievement is maybe one or two of those pieces, but there's a whole lot of other uh, wedges that need to be accounted for. And for me, it's social growth, emotional growth, and physical growth. And those are the things that have been washed away over the years and our effort and, and push has been to bring those back so the acronym or the formula that we try to to promote and move forward is it's called P's. it's an acronym for something i think it's very simple it's physical growth plus emotional growth plus academic growth uh, plus social growth and that maximizes we believe human potential that allows students to figure out what, what not only what their potential is but more importantly what their talents are I can't tell you how many kids who move through our system in 13 years, whether it's in PatMed or anywhere else, they don't know what they're good at. Then not only do they not know what they're good at, they don't know what they like to do. And if you're going to be in a system for 13 years or for 14,000 hours or 13,000 hours, you should know what you're good at and you should know what you like. So we believe that formula um, serves us well. It allows kids to figure out you know, those, those questions and in order to do that, you have to introduce programs that many school districts don't have. Okay, so tell us about, um, I, I watched your TEDx, by the way, it was excellent. Thank you. Uh, tell us about the Imagination Station. Sure. So I don't want to bore you with the details, but I'm going to give you a very quick longitudinal study to at least underscore why the Imagination Station is important, and then I'll tell you what the Imagination Station is station is if that's okay sure so there's a great book called great uh, breakpoint and beyond um it came out in 1998 and and it, one of the facets of the book focuses on this longitudinal study and i want you to think about this think of 1500 kindergartners and they are given uh four different assessments on divergent thinking now divergent thinking is i want you to think about this it's there's one problem and then divergent thinkers think of multiple ways to solve that problem, right? Sounds easy enough. In school, though, we are led to believe that convergent thinking, which is one problem, one solution, multiple choice test being one of those areas that we are, have a love affair with, uh, we totally focus in that area. So divergent thinking, kindergarten students, they're given these four assessments. Here's, here's the reality, right? So 98% of these kids score at the genius level. Now think about that. So 98% of the 1,500 kids score at the genius level. They take the same cohort of kids five years later, and what they do is they give the same four assessments. The same group of kids went down to 39% as far as scoring at the genius level. Five years later, now they're in high school, they give the same four assessments again for divergent thinking. Less than 9% of the kids scored 
at, diver at, at the genius level. So what's the moral of the story? Well, one could say kids get dumb as they move through a system, or they can say the school's not doing something to promote divergent thinking. And for me, that is one of the most important things that we can do in a school. Imagination stations draw out divergent thinkers. They provide opportunities for kids, and what they have in these imagination stations are big foam blocks, and they construct these things, and they not only construct them, but then they deconstruct them as far as kids for projects. They have, I'm sure you remember these, Lincoln Logs. You have Legos. You have all these things where there are problems. There are things they can do um, together in this area. And the best part is adults get out of the way. The problem with adults in, in schools at times is that our hearts are in the right place, but we fly in like I don't want to say vultures. That's probably a really bad uh, way to think about it. But we fly in and we try to correct everything. And we know we learn best when we fail and we have to continually do things over and over again. That's what these, dive, uh, that's what these imagination stations do. They provide opportunities for students to have divergent thinking skills. And um, not only that, but they get to have fun. And teachers have to get out of the way. You know, it, it sounds a lot like what we do here with makerspaces. Totally. Um, and there's a, a, ter a term that we learned from one of our guests uh, in a previous podcast that we've kind of adopted the, the concept of failing forward. Yeah. People think, you know, failing, the, the word fail is the new F word, right? Yeah. You know, if you fail, then you're never going to go anywhere. That's Failure right. is terrible. That's right. And you think, and the people who listen to this podcast are going to ready to shoot me, but Edison didn't invent the light bulb his first time. That's right. So he failed, but what did he do? He learned from that failure. That's right. So what we do here at Sagem, again, drinking game, Sagem, um, we encourage people to use their imaginations to try something, and if it doesn't work, that's okay. It, try it again. See what didn't work. Sure. See where you can make it better. See where the problem was and correct it. So yep. when you 3D print it a second time or you scan it a second time That's right. or you do laser engraving the second time, you learn from your mistake and you, you fail forward. That's right. Failure isn't an end. It's a beginning. It, it is. And it is such a negative connotation and stigma attached to that word failure where we try to promote kids to fail and to take risks. I mean, that's truly where you grow the most. And um, it's easier to do at the elementary level. It gets a little bit harder at the middle school level, and it's almost, I call it the Heisman Trophy, like people, <laughs> you know, think of the visual, the trophy, people, you know, him pushing somebody away. Um, that's very hard for not only teachers, but certainly for kids to grasp the love of failure. And But for me, um, it builds resiliency. It, it builds a whole bunch of skill sets that uh, that schools need to do a better job promoting excellent so doc, dr heinz how important would you say libraries are to schools they are to me you know it's i guess if i use a visual they are either the vertebrae or they are the heart of of schools if we're talking about a library within the school if we're talking about a public libra library that's in the community um, to me, it, it, there need, needs to be a symbiotic relationship be between the two organizations. So for me, when I was a former elementary principal, a middle school principal, um, everything happened in the library. And um, kids were always in it before school, during school, after school. It's, it really is the lifeblood and, and the heart, heartbeat of, of, a, of a school. And unfortunately, what, what I'm seeing um, over time is that not, not enough resources are there, and I believe library uh, media specialists aren't held in the same regard or the same esteem 
as some of the other colleagues within within the school system, and that that narrative needs to change. So one thing that I was reading about, um, and this actually got some some coverage recently, was the concept of structured play versus unstructured play. Mm -hmm. And I, before I was a full timer in library land, I was a stay at home dad, and listening to the concept of unstructured play versus structured play really mm -hmm. made my light bulb go off just a little too late because my kids are older now. Yep. And the idea of what we do here at CHM with regard to what we were talking about before with the tool petting zoo, uh, with using hand tools, using things that, you know, the parents say, don't touch, those are my tools, and letting them play with the screw guns and, and all these other things. Sure. Um, the idea of letting them just go as opposed to having a structured this is how we do it. We're going to do this and then do that and do the other thing. Tell us, first of all, if you can explain better than I just did, structured versus unstructured play, sure. and tell us how that helps the child. No doubt. Um, well, there's a lot of there's a truckload of research from Dr. Peter Gray from Boston College in, in this area, um, and I think before I define it, uh, I want to talk about where our society has moved toward. Um, and back in the day, I'll say again, I'll go back to the 70s and, and 80s, the, the good old days. Mom kicked us out of the house on the weekend on Saturday morning, 8 o'clock in the morning, and she said, I better not see you until 8 o'clock at night. Exactly. Unless you come in for lunch. <laughs> right? So, you know, and then, you know, us, we're, you know, as kids, we're in the, in the playing in, in forts or we're in playing in the sump, playing sump tag or playing, you know, whatever. We're playing, playing in with, the woods. Kids, playing yeah. in the woods. Stealing pallets. Exactly. I, not that I did that. You know. I'm, I'm not going there. Yeah. I, heard you, I heard you did that, though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so now when, when you look outside – you don't see kids or you rarely see kids in a neighborhood playing. What you see is hyper-organized everything with an adult that's leading the way. So whether it's Little League, whether it's um, other organizations that, that kids are wearing a uniform, and I'm sure we can think of many, they're adult-centered or adult-led types of things or activities as opposed to let's go play a pickup game of basketball or let's Let's find 10 guys to go play, pick up football on the field somewhere, right? Everything is manicured now in fields everywhere you go, but back in the day, everything was open. So that, to me, is really almost um, a microcosm of the problem that I see right now because we have structured versus unstructured play. We tell kids what to do from the moment they wake up until the moment they go to bed for the most part, right? The only time we don't tell them what to do is when they're sleeping. So they need to learn how to make decisions on their own, and that's where unstructured play comes in. To me, the true essence of learning how to live life happens in those moments where adults are not there and kids figure it out on their own. Recess is the ultimate example of unstructured play. However, some schools try to hijack recess and A, use it as a leverage point to punish kids and or they'll provide, you know, for 10 minutes, you can play kickball. And then when you're done, you can play on the slide. And then when you're done with that, you can do this. Unstructured play in a classroom looks something like this. Um, kids, you have a half hour. I'll see you later. <laughs> Go figure it out. There's stuff over here, there's stuff over there. We're not gonna have centers. You're going to figure out who to play with, what you're going to play with, and you can go from place to place to place. And that's where they learn the skills that are necessary, not only in life, but I believe what will augment whatever they're doing in the classroom from an academic standpoint. So unstructured play is adults get out of the way, 
kids do what they want to do. Structured play is we tell kids what to do and how they're going to do it and for how long they're going to do it with uh, a certain amount of people. And there's a big difference between the two, if that makes any sense. That was a very long answer. but No, but it's, it's, it's an incredible concept because it's so simplistic. It is. Well, most of what we're trying to do at Pat Med is simplistic. But um, what makes it so difficult are the people that get in the way <laughs> who, who think they have the answers who are non-educators. That's, that's the biggest problem. And for those out there who, for lack of a better word, poo-poo the, uh, the notion of play is, is, is silly or it's not important, um, you ask what Albert Einstein's definition of play is. You ask anybody who's worth their salt from a historical perspective who has really gone on to do great things it all reduces and boils down to their ability to play and be divergent thinkers. That's very cool. So we heard you mention uh, the acronym before PEAS. So uh, we wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about it. Sure. So PEAS is a, is a, I can't say it's a new concept, but I, I think it's framed in, in a way that is uh, easy for people to understand. And basically, the physical, the emotional, the academic, and the social growth, those different components. The biggest difference is there is no hierarchy, meaning that academic isn't first and then everything else is, as I said in my TED Talk, secondary and tertiary. Being in physical education or being in recess is just as important as learning how to read or write or to learn a new concept in science. And, and that is, I think, the biggest shift. So how does one allocate time within a six-hour structure in a school day to make those opportunities happen. We all know this to be true, at least I do. I know if someone cuts me off on the way to work as I'm driving, um, you know, and I'm, I have a trifecta of, of something not working out well. I'm Irish, German, and Italian. That, that means I'm, go I'm going to get angry <laughs> if someone cuts me off. Now, even though my commute to where I work is only maybe 10 minutes most, inevitably something happens. If someone cuts me off, I get upset, but I have tools to bring me back uh, to recenter myself to not ruin the rest of my day. I happen to have those skills. Some adults have them too, some don't, we know who they are. For kids though, these are skill sets that need to be learned and that's why the social and emotional components are so important. To teach kids how to recalibrate, to teach kids how to problem solve and work things out with other kids. That's why this PEAS formula is so important. We don't take the time within the school day to teach kids how to do and to work out these things. So the emotional and the social and the physical growth, kids need to move. I don't know about you, but if I sit behind my desk, like right now I've been sitting here for 25 minutes, I'm ready to jump through the booth because I need to move often. And that's as an adult. As kids, we are wired to need to move all the time, yet we are stuck in the industrial model of keeping kids in desks for six hours straight almost. And we need to move out of that paradigm. So that physical movement, not just in phys ed class, not just in recess, we need to have kids move often throughout the day and that's where that physical growth comes from. It's a great yeah. concept. Okay, so let's talk about partnerships. Uh, being on the public library end of education, because public libraries are heavily involved in education now more than ever, uh, our relationship with here at Sachem with the Sachem School District has developed into a robust partnership. Where, like I said before, before we came on uh, on air, uh, we, we're there all the time. Uh, how important is it for school districts to work with the public library in that district? I, I think it's vital. Um, you know, I, I think 
<laughs> what you focus on grows. Right? So I've heard that many, many times. And I think that's a two-way street. That means the library needs that to be a major major focal point or a major core value, and certainly a school district as, as well. I think in my school district, we have a, a very good relationship with our public library. Um, I know they have lots of programs that they try to promote and we try to bring into our school. I think we can certainly do a better job, though, as far as forging that relationship. But like any marriage, any partnership, you have to put the energy and time into doing that. So um, I, I think it's, listen, I walked around this library here in Sachem, and, and I don't mind saying this publicly, it's borderline ridiculously not only beautiful, um, but what you have to offer is you have something for everyone. And as a school district to know that there's some place in your school community where not only kids can grow, but the adults can grow as well, um, that to me is as good as it gets. So we need to really, I think, as schools and public libraries figure out a way how to forge that relationship more because I, 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 I don't think we water that plant enough. Well, I, I think it is very important for, for the district and regardless of where you are district and library-wise um, to have a good relationship because we work off each other and we can work very well together. Sure. And I, I think it is something that, you know, that has to continue, especially here at Sachem. We have to continue that, that growth. Um, so I want to thank you so much for answering all of our questions because you really enlightened us into especially the, the structured versus unstructured. That was something that is such a simple concept, mm -hmm. and I'm glad you explained it in a way that, that I can understand it as a layperson, not being an, a, an educator with a master's in, or, or a doctorate, in your case, in, in education. Um, it's just it, it really is interesting to have that conversation and, and understand how, how that, that system works. Well, I will say, looking at what you have to offer here at, at, the, at the Sachem Public Library, clearly it, it, it um, enhances divergent thinking opportunities, but I think just as important, um, my gosh, like I said before, you have something for everyone here. And if, when it comes to unstructured play, I mean, you have a myriad of things that, that, that you <laughs> offer for that. And that is where I really, I truly believe this. We live in a day and age where we see kids, not all of them, but generally most of them, they're glued to screens. And there's a lot of positive things that can come from that. But getting kids off screens and, and forging um, opportunities to, to do things that are innovative not related to technology, I think is, the, is, is a real trick. And our public libraries provide those opportunities and that is a strength we need to, to tap into more. Excellent, excellent. So we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back, we are going to ask you our top 10 library questions. If you're counting, there's really 11. Oh my God. Um, and, and we call this top 10 list our 032 list, which is the Dewey number for top 10 lists. And as always, <laughs> we have to give credit to our colleague, Melanie Cardone from the Longwood Public Library for naming the list of questions. So we'll be back in just a moment.
Mm-hmm. If I put the mics back up, haha. <laughs> We're back with Dr. Mike Hines, who's the superintendent of the Patrick Medford School District, or as we like to call it, the Pat Med District. That's right. Um, and he's going to be our next uh, victim, I mean participant, in the 032 list. Oh, boy. So the questions in our list were inspired by Literary Hub, an informative library-related news site that has stories and interviews related to library land. You can see their work by visiting lithub.com. Visit their site because they educate and inform the library world on great topics from all over the world. Thank you, Literary Hub. Okay, so you ready? I, I think so. Okay. What did you want to be when you were a child? Oh, boy. Climbing into your head. What did I want to be when I was a child? I would say the first thing that comes to mind is I wanted to work in a library. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I, I actually wanted to be an astronaut. That's a common one. That's yeah. a common answer for that question. Oh, great. I'm very common then. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. So what was your first memory of a library, and who brought you to the library for the first time? Um, my, 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 first, wow, my first memory of a library is my school library. Um, in Sayville, in Sunrise Drive. Um, I remember the librarian, actually, Mrs. Richardson, uh, who later out turned uh, turned out to be um, a relative once my sister got married, uh, which is... Which That's is really, an interesting it, story. Very, very. And I remember... I really do. I remember everything about her. She had very long hair. I have very long hair. And I just remember she always, has, always had a smile on her face, and she always pointed me toward comic books because I loved comic books back in the day. Wow. Yeah. You see? The uh, literary graphic novels were back big back then, too. That's right. Okay, so when did you decide to work? Well, our question is library, but when did, when did you make that decision to work for, for schools and become a teacher? And was that your first thing you wanted to do when you went into college? No. Funny enough, when I first went to college, I went to, in the communications field, I wanted to be a DJ. No, really? Clearly, that did not work out. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder why you were looking at all this stuff. Here. That's right. I was like, Dr. oh, my God. Yeah. That's right. That's pretty funny. DJ Jazzy Mike. That, oh, that, wow. That wouldn't have worked. <laughs> no, wow. That's, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> wow. But then, so what ended up happening was I, I changed my major several times um, and ended up with a psychology degree um, looking to go into clinical psychology. That's why I have a beard. <laughs> and um, that didn't work out either because I, I got too atta- I, I got too emotional when when patients were struggling. I, I brought that home with me I, I, and as baggage. I probably shouldn't. But say you're that. still working the beard. But I'm still working the beard. Um, <laughs> and then I ended up uh, actually reading from my sister's class. She was teaching kindergarten at the time, and I read to her class the easiest book to read: Caps for Sale. One of nice. the I mean, truly easiest books to read is a big book. Make a long story longer again. <laughs> I blew it. She was laughing at me, but the kindergartners started hugging me and didn't want me to leave, and that changed everything for me. That's a great story. It's true. It's so, true. It's great. And I still can't read Caps for Sale without getting emotional. So anyway. <laughs> so who would you say is your favorite fictional librarian? Oh, my gosh. Fictional librarian. I mean, how many are there? There's a lot. We can make it a a fictional educator for him, right, Chris? Sure. All right. Well, then it would be uh, from Magic School Bus. Uh, the uh, Mrs. Frizzle, I think, from Magic School Bus. That, that would be my – That's because you have astronomy. That always wanted to be an astronaut, and she was an educator. So I'll, I'll tie the two together. Okay. Well, we kind of covered this in an earlier question, and we had to adapt these questions a little bit, obviously, because you don't work in a library. But what would you be doing if you weren't working doing what you're doing now? 
Wow. Um, serving in some capacity. I'm not. I'm not really sure how, but wanting to help people who needed assistance with something. Um, I, I I love doing that. I'm not sure what it would be, but definitely serving others. That's a great answer. Chris, I'm going to make this a two-part question. So the question is, what is your favorite section of the library? And I'm going to add on to it, what is your favorite section of the school? I would say the children's <laughs> department. I'm biased toward that. I, I love um, just the energy of watching and being around not only my own kids uh, in, in the children's section of the library. I, I think it's, it's remarkable. But if I had to hang out in this library here in Sachem, it would be um, in the makerspace area or the tech area with a 3D printer. I, I am just fascinated um, with, with all you have to offer. It's almost like a smorgasbord where you have too many <laughs> choices <laughs> and you don't know what to choose. Um, because at least in this library, um, one was better than the other. So, but I, I was a little biased toward the Commodore 64 too, and looking at the uh, <laughs> the, the, the throwback technology because I was going back in time. So I'd probably hang out in a couple different places. Okay, so if you had infinite space and budget, what would you add to? Okay, I'm going to just throw it, make a little addendum here. Not your library, but the school libraries. What would I add to it? What would you add to them? Boy, I, to be honest with you, I would add a lot because I would use the Sachem Library as the model. <laughs> I, I'm, and I'm not just saying that. I really would. I think I learned so much in the half hour before this program as far as, you know, if someone had to draw up what a library could look like and, and what it can offer, um, that to me should be the blueprint, blueprint and or template for other libraries to follow, whether they are public and or uh, school libraries. So uh, that's, that's what I would do. Thank you, Mike. That, that means a lot coming from you. So what do you love about your library? The, uh, the public library? Yeah. Sure. Um, I, I have to be honest with you. I, th I think two things. One is um, the people. Um, it's very important that one feels like it's an inviting place to come. And you're, you know, I always have this old, maybe it's um, a hang-up I have. Like, I, st I still owe money uh, to the Sable Public <laughs> Library. And, and I, um, maybe it's, I think it's an old Seinfeld episode, too. Like, you, you owe all, all this money. Like, I, I used to get nervous going into the library thinking that it was like, you know, I was doing something wrong. The people who are in the front of the library or who work in the library, I think, bring an energy that's very important for the community to feed off of. Like, they feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. And that's important. So, my, so I, I think, for me, that's very important. And... Um, I don't know. I, I just the Sable Public Library where I have has a has a nice children's section. So I always, you know, again, I always love watching not only my kids but other children enjoy uh, the puppets. They have a puppet center there, so they get to play uh, with puppets as well and puzzles. And so I love that too. You know, Chris, we know people at the Sable Library. We could get uh, Mr. Bookman after. Uh Dr. Yeah, we probably could. Uh-oh, he just did a spit take. He I just did. did a spit take. I did, and I will now stay away from that library. <laughs> yeah, I think we can make a phone call for you. I, I, I think, Absolutely. Yeah, because I hear they don't have, like, a warrant squad or something. Well, that that's good, out and, and I yeah. hope they don't charge interest because I'll be in trouble. <laughs> okay, so, again, we have to couch these questions to, to tailor towards what you do. Uh, what's the weirdest thing you've ever had happen um, in – whether it's a classroom or whether it's an administrator, what's the weirdest thing you've ever had happen? Like, Wes, we always have 
Library horror stories. Sure, and stuff, sure. But. All right, so I'll, I'll share this one because it's the first thing I thought of. I have to be careful how I say this. No, no, I don't. Change the names to protect the innocent. Yeah. All right, so in one of the school districts I, I worked in, um, <laughs> the first place I toured within the school was the library. Um, you walk in, it's right there. And I walked around, and I'm not kidding. There were at least 15 or 20 magazines, and I'm not kidding when I say this, from 1990 or 1992. Oh. And then there were National Geographic magazines from the early 30s and 40s. Ooh. But this is not on purpose. This is because it hasn't been updated in a very, very long time. So I, I actually, you know, when you think of, of Mice and Men or you think of the classics and when they were actually written, um, they were the original books that were in the library. <laughs> wow. And, and again, it's not, you know, because they were trying to cultivate history. It's because it, it was stuck in a time machine. And um, that I, I actually felt like I, I landed somewhere and I wanted to wake up because I, I couldn't I really couldn't believe it. It was really remarkable. Um, I, I'll never forget that as long as I live because listen there's something to be said for historical documents and everything but when it's part of your functioning library like where people actually would take it out <laughs> I think I want to look at National Geographic from 1947 uh, yeah it's right over here um, it's, I have never experienced anything like that in my life so who was your favorite regular patron or I suppose Chris, should we say student or should we, or, should we say Or a person that you've interacted with in your travels. Who's been one of your favorites, whether it's a student, parent, administrator? In, in a library or right. you mean or in general? In general. Yeah, I would say, um, without saying his name, um, this is when I was a third grade teacher. Um, boy, this was a student that um, would give you hives by Wednesday. Uh, and, and, and this was one of the most difficult students I had from a behavior standpoint. And I love working with kids who like to push the system. Um, I would say by October, I was, I, I don't know if I had any hair left because I tried everything. <laughs> but I have to say by June, this kid still calls me now, 20 years later, at wow. least once a month. This was the kid who gave me the hardest time where I would be almost sleepless at nights because I didn't know how to help this kid because he was, you know, just for whatever reason, just didn't want to listen. And now I probably have the closest relationship from former student standpoint where he calls me for advice. So that's something that you just, you never know is going to happen when it's happening. But when it does happen later on, it's why you move into education because it's a, it's a calling. That's an incredible story. That really is great. So what are people this is our last question what are people without library cards missing out on oh boy well if it's here it would be everything and coffee and a fireplace <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you something i've never been in a library where i felt like i was in a swanky new york city restaurant like th this place is really really amazing um they're they're missing opportunities i mean it really comes down to growth and opportunities and to be honest with you um <laughs> to look for things I, I, I would actually, if, if I was somebody wanting to go to a library, you can probably spend the whole day walking up and down the aisles for weeks learning something new every single time you come into this place or, or any library. Because it's always about how, this is what makes the human condition so great. 
you know, you are always learning. We are a species that wants to learn and continue to grow. And I can't think of a better place to do that than within a library. And uh, if you don't have a library card, you better you better get one ASAP, especially if you're in Sachem. Well, we have to thank you because this has really been a lot of fun. Well, you pay me to promote Sachem Library, so I figured, you know, I would try to throw as many <laughs> promotions the out, out there. Now <laughs> the truth comes out. I'm totally bucks, kidding. Right? I'm totally kidding. <laughs> That's great. So, yeah, but th this has been great fun. Thank um, you. This is a lot of fun, and we learned so much tonight. Um, so we want to thank you for, you know, first answering our silly list of questions, but also just coming in, because I know your time is very precious, and you still haven't seen your family, and you need to get home because I think you're in trouble. I'm always in trouble. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I know the feeling. <laughs> so it's, it's been a real pleasure. I, um, you know, Bob, really nice talking to you. And, it's great talking uh, to you as well. And, and Chris, th thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. And, uh, and maybe I can end with this. Sure. I want to end with, you know, all the great things that are happening in PatMed, very proud of. But again, having a board of education that supports what's happening is um, it's something that is paramount. And um, for any educator that's, that's out there right now, um, your school district is only as good as that relationship between the board and the superintendent. Very well said. Very, very well said. So with that, we're going to wrap up this episode. Um, and if you have any questions or comments uh, about our show, please go to the Contact Us section of our website, thelibrarypros.com. And we'll also include links and photos from where we, we also include links and photos from all of our episodes. And you can also check us out on Twitter at, at the Library Pros and on Facebook at facebook.com slash librarypros. And don't forget to subscribe to our RSS feed, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Sketcher, whatever it's called, iHeartRadio, Podbean. Uh, we have an email service from our website, and we have so many other different ways for you to find us. So find us wherever you catch your podcasts. So as always, the opinions stated by the library pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob and not those of the Sachem Public Library, the MS Clark Memorial Library, or any other library. So we will see you next time. You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippet Productions and by the Library Pros themselves. Krista Cristofaro, and Bob Johnson. Special thanks to Sachem Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch. <laughs>